I get the distinct impression that quite a few of you were meaning what you were singing a few minutes ago. It was beautiful uh, just to be here. And, and honestly, uh, I need to just thank you. It is so encouraging. The last few weeks, you know, it's, um, it can be a little bit of a, of a move, of a vulnerability when, when we say what we said the last couple of months of, hey, uh, we're coming back to life. We're rebuilding. We're going to two services, which we did a few weeks ago, and we need help. Um, from some new folks, and just to see you guys answer that call and kids ministry and guest services, um, and and we want that to continue to happen. But we uh, we needed we needed some people to help us out leading towards Easter, and you guys just uh, man, it's been so encouraging to watch those names, those emails come in and sign me up. How can I help? Um, so we're ready, we're ready for Easter. Easter is two weeks from today. Can you believe that? So so here's what we're we're asking you to do now, right? So some of you don't know. But we brought the coffee back a couple weeks ago. We didn't have coffee the whole pandemic. So there's all kinds of frou-frou. I don't drink coffee. I'm too young for that. But there's all kinds of stuff out there. Um, now, some people assume because the coffee came back that the donuts were coming back too. And, I, and I, last week, first service, a guy, after first service, we were talking. He's like, I'm going to go get a donut. And I'm like, actually, you're not. Because um, those are not bad. But we're going to bring those back for Easter. Um, so you can be excited about that if donuts get you excited, which is a problem probably. But... Um, we, we, we are gearing towards that. So this whole series has been about that. So now we, we got this uh, coffee, made me think of SIP, right? Little acronym, it's on the screen, S-I-P. Um, serve, so if you've signed up and uh, get on the schedule for Easter, and if not on the schedule for Easter, we'll get you on the schedule going forward. So serve and serve with a smile and be excited about all that. Uh, I, it's time to do that, start inviting, right? There's people, there's 700,000 people in Wake County that don't know Jesus and or don't have a connection to the church of Jesus. 700,000. I'm betting you know one of them, right? So don't invite the lady down the street who goes to church and loves church and say, hey, could you come to our church first and then go to your church and do Easter twice like that? We don't want her, right? We want, God bless her. We don't want her. We want somebody, maybe one and maybe two, somebody in your life that if I knocked on their door, it'd be like, this is weird, I don't know you. But you, who's had a week-long or decade-long or lifelong relationship, if you said, and you meant it, it's got to be sincere, if you said, hey, it would mean a lot to me if you'd come to church with me this Easter. All right, we got a 9 o'clock and 11. Which is better for you? See how, see how smooth that is? Which is better for you? All right, yeah, you don't have to use my words. Use your words. Um, but in that S, serve, I, invite, P is pray. Uh, Easter is, is something we cover in prayer. We cover every week in prayer, but um, we're a church for the untold and unconvinced. We think a lot of people have not rejected the gospel. Uh, we think they haven't really understood it or heard it or seen it demonstrated, lived out in a not perfect, but in a true church communal context. And we think a whole lot of people have heard what you're about to hear today of what this is about. Uh, they would be drawn to that and not drawn away from it. Um, and we think God's going to use you, but there's a lot of spiritual battle in those invitations even. So we want you to be prayed up. We're going to be praying for you. Um, and that starts now, right? If you invited somebody to Easter last week, they're like, dude, it's March. What are you talking about? Now we're in April. We're two weeks away. So we want you to be serving, inviting, and, and praying. Um, as we you know, get into this today, um, one of my, I don't know, you might watch that game last night. Yeah, I know some of you. I know some of you did. Um, it, you know, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's 
you know, I just think about it. My parents are both with Jesus. Uh, one of the very few things we did as a family was watch uh, University of North Carolina Tar Heel basketball games together. Uh, so to have that moment with my, you know, next generation stuff last night was, um, you know, it was just, it was a night that I won't ever forget. But in that, um, I think, I think I've grown uh, through the years in this word of perspective, right? That there's actually, this is crazy. Some of you that are, are now where I used to be, this is going to be offensive. There are actually more important things in life than basketball games, right? I didn't know that. I, I know, like God, God will work with you. He's worked with me. Um, but to be able to, to zoom back, even with what happened last night and, and, you know, somebody won, somebody lost, but, you know, retirement and career and, and, and like what's true and it, this, this ability, and it's not about age. Some, young people, you don't have to wait till you get older to have perspective. It's the ability, right? Do you understand the, the camera word zoom, right? When you're locked in on something, all you see is that. And it doesn't have to be sports, right? You probably struggled with something somewhere along the line or maybe today. And if you don't know what it is, somebody you love could tell you what it is. They are so zoomed in. They don't talk about anything but Every, every conversation is filtered through. It's always going to come back to blank with this person because they're so zoomed in, right? So when you zoom back, you get to see a wider perspective, right? So here we are, two weeks from Easter, behind the curtain series, talking about Jesus and getting our hearts and minds ready for what God's going to do in this season, in our lives, in our church. And, you know, I've heard well-meaning people just being honest say, you know what, I don't really mess with the Old Testament, Right, that's, that, that God, like, I don't know about all that, but I'm just thankful for Jesus, right? And that's, okay, we can start there. But the reality is you gotta zoom back and it's all, this is beautiful and powerful and true. There's one story, right? Every week you come in here, you're a different, right, different mess. There's one story that God's been writing from the beginning of time till today and he's continuing to write it. And you only see that if you zoom back, and the Old Testament is a huge part of that. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Um, uh, Joy Bay, our amazing women's pastor, she is, uh, should, be, should be at RDU right now. She just got back this morning from Israel. Uh, she's been in Israel for a week and a half and seeing the sights and learning the things and doing some speaking, amazing opportunity she shared with us a, a month ago of how God uh, just hooked this opportunity up. And we got to pray for her as a staff before she left and None of the staff has ever been to Israel. She's the first, so she's going on our behalf, but not just on the staff's behalf. We're expecting God to teach Relentless Church some things through what Joy has learned, being on the ground where Jesus walked and talked and did what he did. And it's, it's, it's um, you know, if you like history, it's a whole nother level. But if you don't like history, what happened before Jesus really matters to your life. Right? And that's where we've been sitting, this, this Hebrews 6, 19 and 20, it's on the screen. We've talked about it for two weeks, really detailed that we have this, and that third word, this, is so big because it's talking about hope. We preached hope the first week. We have this, which is a reference to hope, as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. In the first two weeks, I had a curtain up here visually to remind you, but... Uh, I got tired of that. So it's not up here this week, but, uh, but that Jesus and this hope, it enters into the inner place. And we've taught that that inner place behind the curtain isn't just words. It's a direct connection 
to the holy of holies. What's that? It's the whole, it's the inner room, it's the back room separated by this huge thick curtain that nobody could go. In the temple world of the Jewish people, church was different, right? There was outer courts and there was offerings and there was worship and there was, you know, all these things. But at the, at, you know, to, at the end of the day, there was a part of the building of the, of the temple and tabernacle that nobody could go except for one person, right? The high priest, and he could only go one day a year and he would go into the Holy of Holies and prevent, present sacrifices. So we talked about that. We didn't talk about what he does, why he's in there. And we don't, I don't think we still understand, I'm still learning with you of why this is such a big deal, right? The reason he only went one day is because that's when God said he could come in there. It wasn't as if the high priest is like, man, sorry, y'all, you know, y'all aren't me. I'm going to go hang with God. I'll let you know what he said, right? He did not have access to the Holy of Holies. God said one day, right? And it became a, it became a, a, a holiday, a celebration. One day, I'm allow you to come back here and meet with me in my presence, but it's only for the purpose of sacrificing. He would have, this is crazy. He would have to, some of you, I don't want to name any names. Don't look at anybody on your row. Some of you, when you got to be somewhere at eight, the, the buildup to get there starts at like three, right? You got a lot of things that you do to your face and your body and all kinds of, to get right, right? To the lead up to go somewhere, right? The priest did more than you do. He had to wear certain clothes. He had to be clean. He had to go through all these rituals, which if I told you would take the rest of our time. He had to do all this stuff. Then, check this out. He had to kill animals, Right. In some ways, pastors are the, uh, you know, we're, we're the descendants of priests in some ways. I'm so thankful, right, that, that I don't have to kill any animals. Right. He had to kill animals. Why? To take their blood. This is nasty. To take the blood of these dead animals, bulls, goats, rain, and he would take them into the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle blood. He would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. What's the mercy? It's the, it's the, remember the Ark of the Covenant that was in the room? There was a seat right? A little like a, um, it was made of all kinds of fancy stuff. And it was, it was where he would sprinkle blood on behalf of the Jewish people. All right. And you hear all that and you're like, man, he's got to dress a certain way. He can only go once a year. He's only go on a certain day and he's got to kill animals. Like this God is kind of messed up. Right? And you, you can find that today. You can find people that will lift a verse out of Leviticus somewhere and like, this is the God that you follow. And like, this God is messed up. Right? And it's, if, you, if you go with this, right, you'll learn. It's not that he's messed up. It's that he's relentless. Right? He, he just keeps coming. He's going to do whatever he needs to do. And, and it's part of his whole story from beginning to today, April 3rd, a continuing of the relentless God that's chasing you. And it's coming after us. So here's, here's the deal. Why he had to sacrifice, right, is because of the holiness of God. Sometimes I get it in my head that God was trying to teach a lesson, right? You know how you do with your kids sometimes? I'm going to let you feel the consequence of your behavior to a point. I'm, I want you to feel that. And then when you feel that, that's going to help you not do it again. So sometimes I get in my head that that's how God was. And I'm going to make you sacrifice and I'm going to make you kill some animals because I want you to know, man, when you sin, like it's, I'm a te- it wasn't to teach a lesson. <laughs> it was because God's actually holy. He can't not be holy, even if he tries. Holiness means there is no room for sin. So when sin happened 
and sin came into the earth and sin was in the Israelite Jewish people, God wanted them. He wrote one story. He just wants you to be with him. But you couldn't. But they couldn't because of sin. Right? You remember um, the Garden of Eden? Right? Sometimes we, 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 we want to focus in on this God who had people kill animals and make him into something he's not. Like, that's not the original setup. This is really powerful. You learn so much about God. In fact, next week we're going to end this series and we're going to have a communion Sunday, which we're so, uh, I'm so excited about that. I've taken communion together and finishing this series and really preparing our hearts and minds for Easter, which is the following Sunday. The week after that, we start a brand new series called FOMO, F-O-M-O, Fear of Missing Out. And it's going to be connected to the Garden of Eden, the first thing we get in scripture. So I won't preach all that now, but for today... It tells you a whole lot about God and yourself if you look at what God started with, right? Like before things got all messed up, what was God's ideal? It wasn't sacrificing animals. It wasn't the temple. It wasn't even Jewish. There was no Jew, right? There was Adam and Eve. And God did what? Hung out with them, walked with them, talked with them with them in the garden, like, right, I'm looking at you, you're looking at me, right? But it was, a, it was a beautiful, sinless perfection, right? We even use that word today. And Eden means kind of like paradise. That's what God wanted. That's what he, he, he created all this stuff, right? He created elephants because he's creative. Wow, you looked at an elephant lately? They're crazy, right? But he did not create elephants in his own image. Only us, the humans, because he wanted to be with us in a way that he's not with elephants. He loves elephants, but he's not with them like he's with us. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. And he just said, simply, stay away from one thing. And the one thing he told him to stay away from is what they went to. And that changed your life, changed everything. But it's important to remember what God was and what, he, what his ideal was. It wasn't temple. It was Eden. Then we messed it up. So then he can't walk around with us anymore because we're sinful and he's holy. It's not that he doesn't like us. It's not even that he's trying to teach us a lesson. He, he loves you. He doesn't love you any less than he loved Adam and Eve. He just can't walk with you because of sin. To do that would mean he's not really holy. It just, it cannot be together. So he came up with a system that was intricate and detailed and horrible and challenging and messed up in some ways, and it lasted for centuries, where one day a year, one guy would represent everybody, would come in, and because sin is so serious, it says without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There would have to be bloodshed of these animals in order to atone. It was called, it became the day of atonement. Atone means to pay for, to cover, to redeem in some ways, to to temporarily in those days make things okay. He still couldn't walk and talk with his people like he could in Eden, but he, he could still be their God. He could still walk with them and teach them to a point. But then the next year, we'd have to go through the whole thing and more animals would have to die. And a big, big old part of what happened with the, with the priest, the high priest, was he had to be clean. Right? When we think of clean, I, I don't know what you think of. I think of, I think of a music festival. When I was in my younger days, we would go to a, 
a music festival with the kids in, in, our, in our student ministry, uh, middle school and high schoolers. And it was, I wouldn't do it for a million dollars today, but it was a blast at the time. I didn't know better. I was young. Uh, we would pick a certain, like uh, uh, some older high school kids. We'd, we'd skip school. They would skip school. I wasn't in school. They would skip high school on Thursday morning. We would leave out Thursday morning and we would go set up camp. Everybody else would come Thursday afternoon. They would all skip school. It was excused absence because we were doing something religious, I guess. And they would all skip school. And the, the, the festival was Thursday night, Friday, Saturday, ended on Sunday morning. And this thing grew, became like the largest Christian music festival in the country. And we were in on that and just uh, loved that. And our, 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 we had, we'd take 100, 150 teenagers on this camping trip. Well, as it grew, they started to upgrade the facilities because people were coming from all over the country. And uh, they started building showers. And we, were, we, we had shirts made every year. And one year the shirt said, showers are for sissies. Um, because we were so proud that we didn't take showers. That was part of our, our, our thing. We went, we camped. It was Kentucky in April, so it was cold at night, hot in the day, and we would, I mean, it was nasty. By Saturday night, Sunday morning, we were ripe, right? Now, some of the kids, took, we didn't forbid them of taking showers, just I, it was like, that was, that was my thing. So I can so vividly remember, we would leave that festival on Sunday morning. We'd drive back in time to get to church. So we would all, all these teenagers coming in, just nasty, going to church. It was awesome, right? And then we, after church, I would go home. This was pre-Jones kids. It was just Kelly and I. And I can, I can still remember the feeling of that shower, right? Just as dirty as I could possibly be, hardly able to like handle my own smell and just taking a while to wash all the, you know, out of me and then just exhausted and taking that beautiful, clean, that's what I think of when clean, right? But that, man, that falls short of what we're, this high priest had to be clean. He had to not go certain places for seven days. He had to wear certain things because it was a different kind of clean. It wasn't about physical, although physical affected it. it. It was setting us up for, maybe you don't know what it's like to be as dirty as I was, but do you know what it's like to feel stained inside, right? The, the shame that comes with sin, the, the, the dirtiness in your insides, like that's what he was trying to atone for through these sacrifices, what he was doing in the Holy of Holies, which was separated by this huge, enormous, thick, crazy curtain. That's what he, that's what he had to get behind in order to be in the presence of God and atone for the uncleanliness of the people of God. Now, that's the history that led to Jesus, right? If you know the story of Jesus, he had some friction and tension with religious folks, specifically priests and high priests and the whole temple movement, right? And obviously, we're getting ready to go through and, and think and pray through this season of, which is every day for us, if you're, if you're a Christian, of, of Jesus' death. And there's a specific occurrence that's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I'm going to read it from Mark because Mark is what we're going through as a church. If you want to get with us, you're never too late. We're doing a chapter a week. Uh, today starts Mark 11. So you can join with us, Mark 11. So I'm going to read but from Mark 15, the simple verse that comes at the end of Jesus' life where it says, Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Now, I told you, 700,000 people in Wake County don't connect to the church of Jesus in any meaningful way. And we can, I could prove that to you if you're, not, if you're doubting. I think it's a lot higher, but that's, we know that. 
most of those, if not every one of those 700,000 people have heard about that verse. If you go to them and like, hey, craziest thing I learned at church yesterday, crazy. Pastor taught us that Jesus died. What? Is he okay? Like, wow, who did it? Like people have heard that Jesus died, right? But what we haven't taught well is what accompanies that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all tell us, next verse, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I didn't add that. That's in there. Like some of you, like first service, they were like, wait, I don't know. It's in there, right? It supernaturally, right? Nobody went and tore it. Nobody was like, oh, it must have been like a little rip. This thing was thick, crazy. This thing was huge. And it tore from top to bottom. God and all, like, imagine how important a day that was, the day Jesus died. He's got a lot going on. And he chose in that moment to supernaturally tear the curtain in the temple that separated everybody from the Holy of Holies, and he tore it from top to bottom. And it's not just Mark. Matthew mentions it. Luke mentions it. Why? It's that centuries a separation, the stench that was on our souls that we were temporarily atoning for through the high priest, but it never lasted, it never sunk deep. All of that, the separation, the, the, nobody could go into the Holy of Holies. Like you would die. Some random kid, person, whoever, just like, I'm gonna go check out the Holy of Holies. They would die. That's how big this holiness, this separation, and, and in one act through Jesus. It's what separates Jesus and Christianity from everything else that God showed up on earth in the form of a human, not just to teach us some stuff, to be the once and all sacrifice that we so desperately needed. That we could finally get back to God. Look at, look at this progression from Eden to the temple to Jesus and then the one unfulfilled part that's coming back to heaven. Now, there's a lot more that happened. Like, that's a really oversimplification of the history of the world, right? But we see what God wanted. He wanted to be with his people. And then sin ruined it. People ruined it. But he, he had a plan. He's perfect, right? And, and to prepare everything in the Old Testament is to prepare us, to let us know our need and, and let us know who God is and prepare us for his one story that he wants to get his people back. He wants you in right relationship behind the curtain with him. Is that not crazy? He would go to the ends of the earth and have a plan from the beginning so you wouldn't depend on a human to get to God for you, that you could come behind the curtain and be in relationship with the one all-powerful God? What? Right? And, and we use this term, um, reconcile. It's a biblical, beautiful word. Bring back with God, right? Sometimes we shy away from that word because you've heard, you know, as a multi-ethnic church, racial reconciliation, right? Which I'm for that if you mean uh, Ephesians, biblical, we're being made right with God by being made right with God. That is going to break down every barrier, right? As Ephesians 2 speaks of. Sometimes we shy away from that phrase if you're specifically speaking to America, racial reconciliation, because reconcile implies that you're getting things back right, and racially, we don't have a point in America where things were right. We're not trying to get back to the beginning, please, right? We're, we're trying to become what God and the church, the multi-ethnic church is supposed to lead our culture in that. That's a whole nother message, right? But we are trying to get back. We're not trying to get back to the temple. We're trying to get back to being with God like he wanted to be with us. Sin messed that up. 
and now he's holy and we're not and there's a separation and we can't do anything about it and God had a plan to do something about it through Jesus and when he died and breathed his last the temple curtain was torn in two like I told you Matthew Mark and Luke all mention that tearing of the temple curtain but they don't say anything. It's kind of crazy to me. They just mentioned it like Mark did. Like there's, I didn't show you verse 39 because he goes on to other things. There's no like explanation of, well, you know, why? Like why does Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us this crazy, miraculous, kind of weird temple got torn and then go on? Well, a couple of reasons. One, because it's all about Jesus, right? Jesus just died. We know what he's about to do and raising, like that's the kind of the point. But then secondarily, the Jewish audience didn't need any help. They knew what that meant. They knew about the temple all their lives. If the temple curtain that separates us from the holy, holy of holies, if that's torn, that would speak volumes. And there's a lot, like Luke was writing to a very mixed, you know, Jewish, non-Jewish audience. It's teaching us that if you're not Jewish, I'm not. If you're not Jewish, you're still connected. You need to know Jewish history because Jewish history is your history. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish by race, that that was God's people, that he created a people for himself to bring about the savior of the world. He foreshadowed, called a shot, Genesis, Abraham, I'm going to bless all ethnicities, humans, races through you. And from you, all people will be blessed. How? Because Jesus is going to come from the line of Abraham and he's going to change everything. And it's not going to matter what race or what genealogy you come from. What's going to matter is that the Son of God died for your sins, rose again. And when he died, the temple of the curtain, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That's way more than a day in April or March that we celebrate Easter. That's the end of an era. That's a cleanliness. That is a access. I remember this is about that time of year, a little later uh, for spring break for college kids. I remember spring break 96. Anybody else in Miami 96 with me? Spring break? Were you there? You weren't alive. Um, we, me, and my, me and my three best friends went to Miami. I went several places um, along the coast of Florida. Spring break. And of course in Miami we had to catch a heat game. So we went to uh, Miami Heat. Now this was 1996. If you've been to Miami in the last however how many years, it's, it's different. It's a new stadium, a new place. Well, this was the old arena and it was a day or we drove up in the day. I guess it was probably a seven o'clock game. So we were in the daylight. We drive up. One of my buddies is wearing a Kentucky shirt and this dude comes out of nowhere and he sees my friend in his Kentucky shirt and he's like, Kentucky. And he has some connection to Kentucky. So he's talking us up. His name's Disco. Right, so he just comes out of where. So we meet Disco, and Disco's like, "I like y'all. Come back here with me. I'm gonna show y'all something." Now we're in a strange place. We're in Miami. We don't know Disco. We just met him, and he's inviting us to come back. Everybody's walking that way, and he's saying, "Hey, come back here. I want to show y'all something." But it's daylight, and what's the worst thing that can happen? So we like, sure, Disco, our new friend. So we follow Disco around the way, and we're walking. Um, and again, we're not thinking anything of it, except this is getting weirder the further we get away from people. But it was all good. He took us, it was this fence, and there was these trees and shrubs and ivy all on this fence. And all of a sudden, we get to this spot, and there's about yay big gap where there's no shrubs, there's no ivy, and it's just a fence. It's a chain link fence. You can see right through. It's high with barbed wire at the top. 
But he says, stand here. And after a few minutes, the players start driving. That's their, that's their little parking lot back then anyway. So the, the Miami Heat players are driving. They're very, at least 96 version of very awesome cars, right? And we get to see them pull into the parking lot. And then the, the Golden, they're playing the Golden State Warriors. They don't, don't think of today's Golden State. This is 96 Golden State. They pull up on a bus and they get out, you know, and um, I'm not a state fan, but I'm respectful. Like I know, the, and I, I recognize a guy, uh, three of you remember a guy named Todd Fuller, right? And I gave him a little shout out, Wolfpack, right? And he heard that and he was in Miami living in Golden State and he heard that and he turned around and gave me a nod, like, you know, little did he know, I was just, you know, being nice, but... <laughs> But we, we got to see, like, the, the, the visiting players come in. We got to see the home players, like. And then we went in the stadium. We, we sat on the very top row of the entire stadium and watched what appeared to be people <laughs> play basketball. And I thought, you know what, though? I don't think, maybe disco does a lot of, I don't think anybody but the four of us got to see the players drive their cars. We had unique and special access. Right? Now that, it's part of my job. It's like to bring stuff alive and help you understand words and bring it to your life. But that's, I love that story. It's fun. It's true. But it's really bad. It doesn't hold the weight of the access that we're talking about. Do you understand that there's a God who loves you so much, but he cannot deal with your sin? He just can't. Not because he doesn't love you, not because he's, he's God and he's holy. And the definition of holy is you can't have that. So nobody could get to him. So he created a system that's kind of jacked, and he knew it was kind of jacked, but it was the best we could do while we waited on the ultimate plan that he had all along, that now, as disco got us into that place where we could see where no one has, that God has sent Jesus to go to a cross to die for your sins, and then he tore the temple curtain in two so that you could have access the one dude, you understand? The one dude that went into the Holy of Holies once a year. That's you. Amen. You're invited. The curtain's open. God and his presence and his holiness. Well, well, how does he deal with my sin if he's still holy? Because Jesus took your sin. He was the ultimate atonement once and for all, as Scripture says. And we want to dwell on that. We want to just soak that in every day. And thank God for it. We started this service with, I thank God. What a song. Right? Some of you need to start your Monday morning with put that on your playlist on the way. I thank God. It'll change your day. So we're so grateful. But in that gratitude, we need to sit in what our cleanliness cost us. Right? When I got clean from that music festival, it didn't cost me anything. I just took a shower. I didn't need anybody's help, right? Some of you, you're so close. You're so close to the rest of your life, but your barrier is you still think that you can clean yourself up. And, and maybe in your culture and the way you grew up and the way your parents taught you, maybe you came from, and there's nothing wrong with this, cleaning yourself up, meaning getting yourself together, is a really an applauded thing. And that's, that's okay in some ways. The problem is you naturally bring that into your relationship with God. You bring it into the church. And when you bring, I've got to clean myself up. There's nothing more offensive to the gospel. 
So he thought, well, I, I thought going and sinning and living crazy was offensive to the, to, like, that, that's an issue. We'll get to that. But guess what? As God draws you into his presence behind the curtain, he's going to deal with your stuff. He's really good at that. But the most offensive thing before you get there is thinking that you can somehow do something to clean yourself. If, this is not true, if next week, April 10th, we said, all right, we're going to have a real curtain and Jesus has spoken to us and God of the universe is going to meet with you individually and personally. We're going to have a, a curtain over here. Actually, we can use those doors. You're going to go through there right on the other side. You're going to hang out with God. Three minutes because we got a lot of people. So be ready. Know what you're going to say, whatever. And you got seven days. Be real. Some of you would live different this week. Right? You would do certain things and not do certain things. You would worship more, pray more, help people more, say some things less. You, some of you, you would cheer for Carolina tomorrow night just because you want to be right. It's a joke. That part was a joke. Right? The point is, even though that sounds good and logical, anything in you that wants to clean your life up in order to meet with God, is a problem. God knows you can't. God knows you will fail. God knows if you think you're cleaning yourself up, you're going to be spiritually prideful and unbearable for the cause of Christ. And if you fail, you're going to be depressed and discouraged and down on yourself. Either way, you lose. He knows. He wants you to come as you are. And any effort to get clean on your own is religion that Jesus denounced. Instead, Jesus went for you, ahead of you, on your behalf. Why? Why did, why did he become our sin? Well, because he loves us. Yes, 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 yes. But why else? And some would say, well, so we could go to heaven. And I would say, yes. I'm, I'm, we preached that hard a few weeks ago. I can't wait. But that's lacking. That answer is lacking. Right? The curtain that, that symbolized the separation between us and God, it was torn in two, not just so we could go to heaven, so we could be in relationship with this God now. Heaven was never meant to be this introduction, oh, Jesus, now we're going to be together forever. Let's get to know you. No, it's supposed to be the fulfillment of the God we've been walking and talking as we sang. We, we, we walking and talking with him every day of our lives. He's a part of us. We're, we're living behind the curtain. We're not perfect, but we are in relationship with a living, active God. And then one day, we don't need faith because we're going to be seeing him. And heaven is great. But he didn't just come and clean you up so you could go to heaven. He cleaned you up so you could live with him now. Isn't that so much better? A relationship that nobody can take away, that nobody can say or do, nothing can happen in the world that shakes you because you're walking with a real God. But to walk with a real God, you got to put away this religion. you got to put away this stuff that we're still living. Listen, let's say it this way. Don't live the old covenant way in a new covenant world. We can see it everywhere. We can see religion like you see it all over the planet. Humans making efforts and systems in order to get back to God. Some of them are really messed up and some of them kind of look good from the outside. But the commonality is this is how humans get back to God. The difference in Christianity is that God said, you'll never get to me. 
because you're sinful. So I'm going to come get you. I'm going to do that through Jesus. So now religion, we, we stand against it as Jesus did. And we see it. We see it in how we talk. I can't go three months. Now this may change because I'm preaching it. I can't go three months without somebody making a joke. And it's just a joke. It's harmless. But the joke is something to the effect of, man, if I brought so-and-so or some people saying, if I came into the, like the, the, the roof might fall in if I came to church or if my friend or my uncle or my whatever, right? Because what is that? It's an illusion. It's, it's, it's a connection back to that Old Testament, right? Where God lives in here. And if you bring somebody that's not holy into a holy God, then the roof will cave in. You ever heard? Like it's, people still make that. And when I was growing up, it was, it was uh, you know, you, anybody grow up in the don't run in church? Anybody, like it was almost, we thought it was in the Bible. I'm still looking, right? You know what I found as an adult? God is pro-running. He is for running. He likes now. I don't want you running in here and knocking anybody over. That's just rude. But th- that's not why they told us that. They told us because you don't do, you don't do things. My parents were on a committee when we uh, built a family life center at my church. They were on the committee to make the rules for the family life center. You know what made it in there? No dancing. It was a rule. And it made people like me at age like, well, God must hate dancing until you get it to scripture. Oh, boy, he loves, like if you think two things that God keeps letting us know he loves, food, dancing. Really big into those. I didn't know. Why? Because religions, I was a six, seven-year-old kid. This is awful. Six, seven-year-old kid. Not a lot of boldness. Didn't like talking to adults. I walked up to my neighbor on a Sunday afternoon and told him, I don't know how old he was, 45, 50 years old, told him that he was wrong because he was mowing his yard on Sunday afternoon. Where did that come from, right? My parents didn't teach me that. I picked that up somewhere in church. On Sunday, you don't do stuff. What's that? It's old covenant. I'm going to mow my yard today, Sunday afternoon, and God will applaud me right? We have so much messed up stuff that we don't understand. God sent Jesus to end the era, to end the old covenant. Let's not live in the stress. You imagine the stress that Jewish people lived under? Man, we can't do anything right. We can't live up to the commands. We can't hold it together. And every year, the the, the priest has got to kill our pets (laughs) just so that God can handle us for another year. Then we got to do it again. And if we do other sins, we got to do extra offerings. We got to do offerings. They got to do offerings. The priest has got to do stuff. It's just a constant reminder and cloud. And here's the truth. Jesus showed up to free us from all that. And in 2022, we got people in this room that have never tasted that freedom. You've just tasted the stress of religion. And you're living outside the curtain. And man, there's no comparison. Let me, let me just let scripture wash over you, right? So Joy and Raph and I and others, like a big part of what we pray and do is bringing scripture alive. But sometimes you just need, that's why we, we're in Mark. So, so just you and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes I just want to read something to you without really putting anything else in it except for what we believe the Holy Spirit gave us and revealed. So I'm just going to read Hebrews. If you haven't noticed, it's, it's all about this old covenant, new covenant priest, Jesus coming, what he accomplished on the cross. And I'm going to read from chapter nine, verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, 
but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared, check this, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Next verse. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. He came and did it and it only had to be done once. There was no more repeated every year. And when he died, it's not an accident or coincidence or a cute little anecdote. It is amazing, powerful that the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom to know God ended all of that. And now the only part of the timeline, if we go back to the Eden, to the temple, to Jesus, all of that has happened. The one that has not happened is heaven. And he said he's going to come back. And if he's true with everything else he's been, he's going to be true about that. And he's not coming to die for our sins or to sacrifice. That's handled. He's coming to save, to rescue, to take with his adopted kids, family, church, those eagerly waiting for him. So as we wait, what do we do? You know, just sit around and eat good and dance and laugh and shake our head at this messed up world and just wait. That's not what he tells us. He tells us this world is broken, right? Don't get it, you know, don't get it twisted that just because, you know, we're not in the old covenant that we're, we're in this new covenant, but in the new covenant, we're surrounded by brokenness. This earth, this world, everything is broken and it's accelerating towards the end. It's going to end. And in the middle of that, and we're learning to what? To hold tight, to be behind the curtain that you, without any other human, you can be in relationship with your creator God who loves you and wanted to be with you but couldn't because of sin, but had a plan, executed a plan, sent Jesus out of love. Jesus defeated death. He defeated sin. And now we're eagerly waiting for him. So what are we supposed to do in the meantime? And there's a couple of messages, preaching in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is amazing because it's the church. It's the first century church. It's the multi-ethnic church coming alive. It's Jesus has gone to heaven and now this thing is exploding and they're starting up churches. They're planting. We were a church plant seven years ago. They're planting churches in all these different places. And in that, you get a, a couple of, of times where people preach and these are just normal, you know, flawed humans like me. They're Stephen preaches and, and Paul preaches, and a commonality in their messages is they mention God does no longer, does not dwell in temples built by human hands. He's, he's telling the Jewish people, but also the pagan people, the Greek, they all wanted to build structures or temples or, or these or statues or idols. They wanted to build stuff that represented God, and then the man would say, hey, God lives in that. And that's part of what I hate about the running in church, because it comes from God. Well, you can't do that there, because God's there. One, if God did live in the church, we should run all day. Two, God doesn't. Scripture is very clear. God does not dwell any longer in any human structures. 
He dwells in his people. Like we could go, we could go anywhere, right? We could go to the most unholy place you can think of. I got some ideas, but we, we might disagree. And we could go there and it would be a holy place because God's Holy Spirit, we could go and worship there and it would be church and God would be with us because he is in us. So now we live on his behalf. We are the, rec- the ministry of reconciliation. We live with a heart for those that have not been made right. They haven't been brought back to right relationship like Eden was. They haven't been made right with God. And part of the reason they haven't been right is because they don't know. They think there's a God who's still holy where there's a temple that separates and it's only for the whatever people. They don't know the temple got torn, that Jesus obliterated all that and they're invited with all their mess to come into a relationship with a holy God. So what do we do? What's your approach? Anybody ever met any famous people? If we had a contest in this room and we said, stand up if you think you could win the contest, I've met face-to-face somebody more famous than anybody else in the room. Would you even, would you, do you think you got somebody that would be in the running? Stand, stand, stand up if you, think, if you think you've met somebody more famous than anybody else in the room. I don't know your story. No, it's okay. It's 12 o'clock. We can do this in here. We can't do this with those 9 o'clock people. We can do this in here. All right. Who you got, Patrick? Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. Can anybody beat Bob Dylan? Def Leppard. Def Leppard. The whole band. Bob Dylan, Def Leppard. I don't know. Anybody beat Bob Dylan and or Def Leppard? Come on. You guys have been around the world. Nobody? Yes, sir. Hey, Michael Jordan wins, right? Are you, are you anybody, who's Def Leppard? Is that what you said? I, uh, I met Muhammad Ali. That's my, I met him in a hotel in Raleigh when I was a teenager, right? So Muhammad Ali, Michael Jordan, that's going to be a, that's going to be a close competition. Here's the point, right? I didn't know I was going to meet Muhammad Ali. It just happened. We're walking through this hotel. If you're going to meet somebody, whoever, and you know, What's your approach? Right? You don't want to say anything stupid. Right? You don't want to do anything offensive. Right? You want to, if you know really in advance, you want to like look decent. Maybe, maybe not with Bob Dylan, Def Leppard, probably don't, right? But, but, but you're going to put, like, what's your approach? Right? Jesus is bigger and better and badder than anybody we could have named. I, I can do that little illustration because I know you're not going to come up with anybody who trumps Jesus. Right? Jesus is it. What's your approach? Hebrews again, chapter four. Therefore, he's been talking about all this stuff we've been talking about. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, what do we do? Let's hold firm. Let's hold tight to the faith that we say, right? The faith that we profess with our mouth. Let's be real. Let's hold firmly together. We need each other, church, to to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. Instead, we have one, Jesus, who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Right? I don't know what it was like back in the day, but Aaron, I'm sure after Aaron, like, he walks around like he's somebody because he gets to go back there and do whatever he does, and he's the high priest. But, you know, I sit with Aaron, and I'm like, he don't know me. He doesn't struggle with what I struggle with. He's the high priest. 
right? And if he does know what I struggle with, he doesn't know what you struggle with. And yet Jesus came as the ultimate high priest. That's a crazy verse. He can empathize with you because he was tempted in every way. You cannot come to Jesus and say, I know you don't know what this is like, but I'm being tempted with blank. And Jesus' honest answer is, I know exactly what that's like. He experienced the full human experience, including temptation, the difference in him and us. Never once did he sin. That's our high priest. He gets you. He's not. Some of you still think, I'm so ashamed. He's looking at what I've done, and he's looking at me like, just no, I have no idea what a waste of life. Like, that's what you feel. That's not him. He empathizes. He gets it. That's why he came. So you wouldn't have to stay in that place. Verse 16, here's how we live. How do we approach a celebrity? Here's how we approach God. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with what? Let's say that word like the word should be said. Let's now approach God's throne of grace with? Oh, 11 o'clock, I love you. With confidence. You wanna kind of sort through what kind of upbringing somebody has as you're getting to know them, as you're inviting them to church, as you're having conversations about Jesus? You ask them, how would you approach God? Right? You can talk to a lot of people and have a lot of words said without that C word ever coming up. Confidence. Right? Because we can approach that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We all have need for mercy and grace. And we can bust through those doors. The curtain has been torn. There's no entranceway except Jesus. He is the entranceway. And we come to him now. Today, this week, this should affect your life. When you talk to him later today or in the morning or worship him, when you come, when you approach in your life with your struggles, in your, when you come to the one holy God, you should come boldly and confidently. Well, I, I can't, you know, but I've got some. It doesn't matter. That's the point. If your confidence is based on your performance, then it's not based on the gospel. If your confidence is, I've had a really good week, I can come here and sing a little louder, pray a little harder, right? You know, if, if that's what it's based on, then you're in religion. You're nowhere near Jesus. Your confidence 100% comes from Jesus, that he entered the inner place ahead of us on our behalf, and his death, sacrifice, holy of holies, he atoned for my sins. He made me clean. I can walk into the holy of holies presence of God because the cleanliness and holiness of Jesus is all over me. That's it. That, my friends, changes your life. It also blesses these words we see over and over and over in Scripture, freedom, peace, access, joy. You don't experience those outside the curtain. The curtain's gone. We're not even talking about it. We're not even using that anymore. Curtain's been torn up, burned up, gone. Now you're invited, not because of how good you are, because of how perfect he is, and he wants you, and he did what it took so that you could be free he is your high priest, the only one you need. He is your access. Don't live an old covenant way in a new covenant world. Two weeks from today, we're going to do something we haven't done in a long time. I'm really excited about it. We're going to baptize some folks on Easter Sunday. Maybe one of those folks is you. Well, hold on, hold on. What are we talking about here? Baptism, that sounds like a ritual. Listen, Jesus 
did away with all that ritualistic, you know, temple ordinance stuff. He just gave us two things that were really important to God's heart that are not rituals, but they are things that he wanted the church to have as a part of them. One of them we'll do next week, communion, and one of them we're going to witness in two weeks, baptism. Baptism is not for those that believe in God. Don't get baptized because you believe in God. That's not what it's about. What it is, is when you come to a point in your life where you realize clean and free is only available through Jesus, and he did that for you and your specific sins. And he is your interest into a relationship with the creator who knows and loves you so much. You put your faith in that. When you put your faith in that, we're told to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus hung on a cross. And he took the stain and the penalty and he atoned for all of our sins. He was buried fully dead in a grave. And then a few days later, he rose from the dead and everything changed. The new covenant fully began. Baptism is a symbolic picture of that where a human being old enough to make a decision to follow Jesus says, I'm going to die because I can't clean myself. So I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to be buried in the water of baptism and I'm going to raise up as a new creation. Clean, not on the outside, but clean in a way that only Jesus can clean and free you. If that's a decision that you'd like to talk about, pray about, or just say, I'm doing that. We're figuring out if we're going to do it between services or after. Like we're, we'll know all that next week. For now, we'd love to talk with you, pray with you. If you don't want to talk with us and you can do it online, there's a, there's a link where you can say, I want to talk about baptism. We already know some people that are ready, ready to get in the water. And we're praying that not through anything I've said, but that there's a God who's been writing one story and April 3rd is part of that story and he's used some scripture that was written long ago to touch and call you behind the curtain to a life that you were created for. But it takes your decision to follow him. If that's you, man, we'd love to know. If you've already made that choice, then this week is about approaching your God. Just overwhelmed, thankful, I have access to the God of the universe, and you know what it costs to win you that. I'm going to pray that that affects you. It stays with you as you go and do and live this week. Would you stand up and let me pray over you? Father, we're just thankful. We're thankful for this hope that's a sure and steadfast anchor for our soul. We're thankful that this hope enters through Jesus into the inner place behind the curtain and that Jesus has gone ahead of us on our behalf, and now we know and see that when he died, you tore the curtain in two. You ended that whole system. We don't have to deal with the stress and the weight of trying to figure out how to be clean before you. Thank you, Jesus, that you have cleaned us and called us and rescued us and adopted us. May that affect how we live. May that impact how we talk to you, how we sit with you as we approach you. It's not with fear. It's not with trying to impress that we would approach your throne this week with confidence, that we would get a glimpse of what you see when you look at us. Not what we see, but what you actually see. Your rescued, adopted sons and daughters. Thank you for what's coming. Thank you that you're coming back to get us. God, give us a sense of how big the stakes are as we talk to people in our lives about you and who you really are. God, I pray there'd be conversations this week that are just beautiful about who you are and what you've done. 
God, we pray towards Easter, but we're not even promised 14 days. So we pray today and tonight and this week that we would approach you with confidence. We thank you for inviting us into this intimate, beautiful, life-transforming relationship. I pray you'd bless us as we go and live. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week, church.